the party begin here in West Lafayette. One of the top five places to watch a college basketball game. I would argue you can't find a better one. Three on the way. Bullseye! I feel the electricity in the house. The passion. It's a wall of sound. So here it back. It is four with three. They go to wall of vacuum. Planted for three. This is the Boiler Ball Podcast. Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, episode 83 here on the podcast and roadshow edition, Rob. We're, uh, as we record this, we're uh, traveling right now with the team and uh, decided to squeeze it in in this busy schedule, uh, try to get one in on the road and as uh, our listeners know, in past seasons, we've always tried to work in the seniors towards the end of the year and, and right as we wrap up our season. So I uh, wanted to uh, get a jump on that this year. So we're welcoming in senior Jared Wolverin to the podcast. Jared, uh, thanks for taking time here. I'm, I'm pulling you away from a nap, I'm sure. <laughs> Not a big napper, so I'll, okay. I'll take right. it. It was probably going to get some homework done or watch some basketball. So well, it'll be good. We're pulling you away from homework, so I apologize in yeah, advance. Is that if you, better? I don't know. If you come up short on the no. honor roll this semester. <laughs> no complaints here. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, taking time to join us. And uh, as we've always uh, done on this podcast, like I mentioned, we, we try, to, try to work the seniors in uh, towards the end of their, uh, of their final year with us. And um, I was excited when I told Rob we were going to get you on this week. I was excited because... Um, it's going to be a very basketball-heavy show in terms of coaching. Yes. Uh, and for those of our fans who don't know, Jared's father is the head coach at Denver, uh, first-year head coach this year. Um, and his father, Jeff, is uh, – we've known him for a while, and uh, it's been cool to see him uh, in his first season in his new position. And I know uh, before we kind of get into that part of it, um, I want you to talk about, as a child – basketball and obviously everybody always talks about like an army kid and the moving that takes place when you're in the army i don't think people instinctively realize that when you're uh, in the basketball world chances are you're going to have some moves involved yeah i've been asked uh once or one or two times if i was an army kid which i responded (laughs) with saying that my dad was just a basketball coach (laughs) so it's a little different lifestyle but um i've grown to love it Growing up in Illinois, he had gotten out of college basketball before I was born. Um, He got into real estate with my mom's father, uh, and then he branched off his own company, all while coaching high school basketball at my mom's high school in uh, Bloomington, Illinois, Bloomington Central Catholic. So I grew up going to all his high school games, and going. I grew up with a lot of family in Bloomington, so with different cousins and my grandparents and aunts and uncles, we would all go to the games, and it developed into him getting back into college basketball and then me being around all those programs, which as a college basketball fanatic, I mean, it's it was awesome and it's led me to where I am today. So it's been great. Would you consider Bloomington, Illinois, kind of your home home hometown or, um, or you wherever know, you're at now? <laughs> I would probably say Palo Alto. Uh, just I finished high school there and I really made a lot of good connections with friends and families and I always just got a home type of vibe from Palo Alto and always felt welcome there and growing up in Bloomington obviously it's still home and has a special place in my heart and I have a lot of family there but 
now as times progressed. Uh, Denver isn't quite home yet. Uh, it's home base for now. <laughs> Hopefully that'll last a while. And But definitely, yeah, Palo Alto would probably be there now. So how many total stops then from the time you're born to the time you end up going to college? Illinois, yep. Virginia, Alabama, California, and now Colorado. Wow. So five. And like different, like, it's not like Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana. You know, it's not like yeah. Midwest. I mean, right, you've right. been around. I, How old were you when you left Illinois? Uh, I just finished fifth grade, so I was going into middle school, mm-hmm. so probably 10 or 11, something like that. Okay. Um, and then I was in Virginia at Virginia Tech for 10 months, so one mm-hmm. whole season. And then he got, uh, got on with Jared Hass at UAB, and I was there seventh grade through sophomore year of high school. And then he followed Jared to Stanford. And I was there saw, or going into junior year of high school um, through this past May. So he was coaching in Illinois. He was coaching in Illinois high school, you said. So did, before, did bef- before I was born, he coached at Illinois State with Kevin Stall. Gotcha. There you go. Ah, and that's ah. the athletic director there set him up with my mom. And through they, they got engaged, they got married. And I think it was right before they had my sister, who's about a year and a half older than I am, he decided to get out of college basketball and uh, started working for my mom's father in uh, real estate with Coldwell Banker. Um, So that was all all I knew growing up. And then he got back into the college game when I was going into middle school. Who was that AD, do you know? Mark Lyons. His daughter used to be our babysitter growing up, so it was Ah. a full... Well, so the connection. connection, though, comes full circle. Kevin Stallings, yes. I mean, in a way, got it all started for you, and now you finish up at Purdue as a player. It's it's <laughs> funny, the Purdue connection, when my dad was at Central Catholic, they had an end-of-the-year banquet, and Gene Cady was the coach my dad had come to the event and speak. Oh, be the speaker, yeah. And I have a picture with Gene when I was probably three or four years old. <laughs> Sweet. And after one of our wins at IU, I think it was my first year, I, Gene came in the locker room after the game, and I talked to him, and I said, you know, as crazy as it is, we have a picture together. You definitely don't remember it, but I have a picture at home of the two of us at my dad's high school basketball banquet. So oh, wow. that's the whole really circle's cool. true. Yeah. That's really cool. That's uh, So, yeah, Coach Stallings had a lot of success at Illinois State. And so did he leave – did your dad leave before Stallings left for Vanderbilt, or did he – I think so. Okay. Yeah. And then he, so you go to Virginia Tech. Who was the coach of Virginia Tech? Seth Greenberg. That okay. was his last year. Gotcha. So he goes, did he have a connection with Seth ahead of time? Seth was at Long Beach State when my dad was at Cal Berkeley. Okay. And I think just West Coast, they kind of knew each other. Yeah. Um, and that relationship got him a job interview and then a job at Virginia Tech with him. So short-lived, but it, it got him back into the game. What made you, what made your dad jump back in? Just the itch. I think he always had it, and he really wanted to be around our family growing up with two young kids, and yep. he didn't want to be on the road like he was when I was in middle school and high school. Which, as a kid, I know my sister and I really appreciated that, and yeah. we'll always be appreciative of the fact that we got to grow up with our dad around the house. Yeah. Um, now. I mean, go, when I got older, I loved it because as much as I loved the game of basketball, I got to be around the game of basketball yeah. at any time I wanted. I could go to a practice with him. I could just go to the gym and shoot around, get on the gun, go to all the games. I mean, it was it was a dream come true for me, and 
I mean, I'll my love for college basketball is going to continue to grow. But it was built off of being around the game with him. That's cool. Yeah, we were uh, we played at Virginia Tech one time in the Challenge. Coach Greenberg was I there. Remember it well. Won an overtime game. Etwan uh, and Juwan's senior season. Um, that was a good good trip for us. That's a very um, cool place and very unique arena too. Those old all that all yeah. wood in there. Castle the Coliseum. Yeah, pretty yeah, cool place. Right. So only a quick stop there, and then mm-hmm. down to UAB. Yep. So what was life like down the south? Because up to that point, it had been out west, Illinois. And yeah, now, so it was yeah. Midwest. So I, I ended up living in all four major regions of the country by the age of 16, which not many people can <laughs> right. say that, let alone kids who yeah. are right. Bef- right in the middle of their teens. So we went to UAB. I quickly had to adjust to the yes ma'ams and yes sirs, <laughs> and I n- remember getting – reprimanded for not using it in uh, a class back in middle school so it was you you had to make a quick adjustment or you were going to be an outcast pretty pretty easily as far as adjusting and this is not unique to you kids that have parents that move a lot the adjustment period is always difficult especially in school Mm -hmm. did you find that basketball made life a lot easier to pick up friends and quickly kind of fit into that school environment yeah so we got adjusted um you know it's it's a trial and error period my parents had never been through it my my mom grew up and lived in bloomington illinois went to college there my dad for the most part was in southern california growing up so they hadn't been through it let alone having kids who had been through it Mm -hmm. so our first move we tried to get acclimated i think Baseball was the first thing I kind of met kids through. Sure. Um, I remember the first week or two of school, I struggled, and you know, you just you don't know anyone, and you wanna you want it to feel normal like it has for the past ten or so years of your life, and yeah. it's just not. And then going to Alabama, we picked up on a few things that would be helpful. So sports always unites people. So I got in with baseball. I'm pretty sure I went to the UAB baseball camp and met couple kids through there yeah my mom reached out to the high school and said of kids who like basketball and baseball like would you mind giving us a few names to have our son meet before school starts sure and then first day of school I ended up going to uh, going to school with a few of those kids and they kind of helped me get acclimated and then by the time I was going to Palo Alto I was I was probably 16 and I immediately flew out there when my dad got the job and stayed in a hotel with him for the month of June. And I played high school basketball with my team for three weeks. Gotcha, right. And that was helped exponentially. Sure. Then I knew kids through those kids in those three weeks. We'd go hang out with other people. And then I remember the first day of school, I asked one of the kids that was my age on our team if he would just give me a ride. Canada ends up being my best friend to date. And it's it's cool. You, You really have to be outgoing. Yeah. And I'm an outgoing person, so it's probably a little different for me than someone who's probably a little more introverted. Uh, but, it no, it's it's a major adjustment, and you have to find ways to acclimate yourself that may take you a little bit out, outside of your comfort zone, but you just have to do it. There's no other option. You're, do you have memories of those UAB games when you were down south? Yeah, I have. There are a couple that stand out. We played in the Charleston Classic and lost. It was the year New Mexico was really good. They had Alex Kirk, yeah. Cameron Barristow, yeah. Kendall Williams, and they were ranked at the time, and we lost on double overtime. Kendall Williams hit a three-quarter court shot to send it to OT, oh. and then went to double OT after they hit another one. And 
that that one and then we beat North Carolina at home with Jared's connection to Roy yeah he got Carolina to do uh, home away home yeah wow. so they came to um, Bartow Arena and we I think we beat them by six or seven or something and that was definitely a big time one and then the NCAA tournament beat Iowa State which had four or five NBA players on the roster yeah yeah that was it was that was a really fun experience Homewood was a great place for us all right so let me ask you this as a um, dad who's a coach and being in a family that First of all, tip of the hat to your mom for... Oh, she's a superstar. Yeah. All this, yes. all the behind the scenes. Yes. You don't just show up to these places with right. a fully furnished house. <laughs> yeah. My mom has, she is, she does not get anywhere near enough credit for all she's done to help with these moves and just be there and supportive for not only my dad and his coaching career, but my playing career and my sister's academics. It's, she's, she's really the superstar of our family. So, yeah, and I... I I totally relate and get that because you're absolutely right. Somebody's got to kind of hold everything together. Um, so the, my question is, in that in your house, um, as, a, as a child now of a coach, what's, I guess what sticks with you more? Because I know what sticks with me being a part of the staff, the great wins or the tough losses. Because when you just referenced your memories, it was one of each, right? It was the great <laughs> yeah. win over Carolina. And then it was the agonizing defeat in, you know. So what what sticks with you more, or what stuck you with you more when you were a, a kid like that? Probably the wins. Just you get more excited when your dad comes yeah, home and right, he's got a big right. win and he's, he's excited and talking about the game. And growing up, you're trying to understand it more and more every time you talk about it. And, I mean, we still to this day, my dad and I are extremely close to talk every day. And with him being a head coach, he's got all the responsibility. And it's the dynamics change a little bit because the losses wear on him more than yeah, they used mm-hmm. to and the wins mean more than they used to. Yeah. So it's now especially it's it's awesome to be able to share these these wins and losses with him and talk about strategy. And, and I mean, in my last year of college basketball, I'm really starting to understand the game and have such a love for it that our conversations are better than they've ever been understanding wise and just how much I want him to win yeah and mm-hmm. see his program do well as much as he wants to see ours so it's we definitely like tonight we play on the same night we always say how about two Wolverine wins tonight yeah mm-hmm. so okay so follow up to that now that w- when you are on a team now what sticks with you more as a player the losses or the wins probably the losses here yeah I think the expectation is to win yeah and it's kind of business as usual when you win. You obviously celebrate wins, especially road wins like we're about to get tonight. <laughs> it's the those are, those stick with you. Right. The losses definitely hurt, but the road losses or the road wins, excuse me, with the celebration and how much that means, especially in the Big Ten where every night's such a battle. Those those are the ones that stick with you the most. Does it? Does it? Uh Tell me what your thoughts on this, because I have thoughts, and we've talked about this a few times on the podcast. But when you you referenced the the standard, and you know Coach Painter's built and Coach Katie had built to it, the expectations to win, and and that's a great thing. It's where you it's where every program in America wants to get to that point where you expect to win every time you step on the floor. But in a way, it's almost like it doesn't allow you to celebrate those wins or enjoy. I guess not celebrate would be enjoy them as much 
So case in point, we go over to Illinois this year against a really, really good team. And on the biggest stage you can have, nationally televised Fox National game on Martin Luther King Day, the only real game going on at the time, and we win a drag-out knockdown fight in double overtime. And yet, we enjoyed it, don't get me wrong, but it's like the enjoyment's so quick, and then it's like, all right, get to the next one. (laughs) And then you lose an absolute grinder fight two nights three nights later in Bloomington and you feel about an inch tall but you didn't feel like 30 feet tall when you beat Illinois (laughs) you know what I mean I don't know if I'm making sense what I'm trying to say but it's like no that's exactly how it was you the the winds stayed with us when you saw when you got in the locker room and everyone was celebrating throwing water on each other you go out you see your friends and family that came and the moment you get on that bus, it's, all right, Indiana. Especially because it was Indiana. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Not that other Big Ten teams aren't important, but that just means so much to us at Purdue. And then the loss of that one, that loss sticks with you. But the beauty of the Big Ten is you had another game on Sunday that you had to go get. Right. So mm-hmm. you can be upset, but you got to flip your mind real quick to focus on the next opponent. And I think that's something I always kind of feel – I always feel – bad for you guys in a way as players because I'm like man they're doing some great things and yet they're only it's like the only things that you're judged on are the losses sometimes mm-hmm. and I'm like hey man these guys have done they're you know right now somebody at the beginning of the year somebody back in June was like you guys are going to be sitting there at 16 and 3, three yep. and everybody would be like oh hot damn let's mm-hmm. do it like I'll sign up for that you know it's just and, but again that's the nature of sports I mean that's the nature of uh, of, of building a program to this level is that you just keep expecting excellence and higher and higher things and not saying it's fair or unfair but that's just the way it is so did you ever did you ever notice as a kid your dad dealing with any of the pressures of coaching because as an assistant which was most when you lived with him um you know there's the pressure of winning but there's also as an assistant the pressure to get players and to you know do a good job scouting and all the things that go into coaching like did was he able to separate that? Did you ever notice him getting stressed or anything like that? When I was younger and he was at Virginia Tech and UAB, I probably didn't as much. Just I was m- more thinking like I- I'm back with my dad now. The the game's over. Yeah. He can he's back with us at home. He's focusing on us. Yeah. Now and <laughs> as I've gotten older and I've had I've started to talk with him strategy-wise about what happened in the game. You get you, you get the understanding that yes, there is a lot of stress involved, even more so now with him being a head coach. Sure, he it, it wears on you, but that the wearing of it goes away once you get a win, and it's the this such a a great feeling when you get a win, especially a big win, and then you get to go home and celebrate it with your family. So, yeah. I it the stress is there more now, and more, I've been able to notice it more as I've gotten older. And just with him in and out with games, he's on the road. In the Pac-12, they would do road stands where you'd go play on a Wednesday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Thursday, Saturday. So he's gone for a while. And in that time, sometimes he would go recruit. Yeah. So he would yeah. go watch high school games. I know some of our coaches will do that on the road a few times. So that stress of always picking up your, your bag and going to another yeah. place while doing a scouting report, focusing on the next opponent. The stress is there. He did he did a pretty good job of not showing it to 
us, my, my sister and I as kids, and or we just didn't pick up on it because we were focused on other things. Yeah, I, the, and a little bit, I know your dad. He seems like a, a fairly laid uh, – and I don't know if any coach is laid back, <laughs> no. but he seems like a guy that could probably compartmentalize and handle that pretty well. Rob, what were you well, well, What about your – your? I'm talking about you right now, Jared. Your, your personal stress as a high school basketball player. Because let's face it, when you are the, uh, the son of a coach – whether you are or not, everyone expects you to be the best player on the team, right? Especially when your dad's a college coach. They just assume, well, this guy's dad is a college coach. He has to be a, you know, he's an all-star. He's going to average 25 a game. What about your personal stress? Because each of those stops you make in your, your young life, obviously you're on the basketball team. Did you ever feel like, man, I need to be really good because my dad's a coach? You, you at least got to know the plays, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my dad did a phenomenal job of not being a helicopter parent in any type of way. He was the dad at the games that was in the corner of the bleachers by himself, if not with my mom or she was with the other the other parents. Uh, right. My dad wanted to watch the games, and he, he left basketball up to me. I could have gone and played lacrosse, I could have played hockey, could have played baseball. He wouldn't have cared as long as I was happy. Mm-hmm. And that always, it always helped me out because I knew I wasn't being forced to play basketball just because he coached basketball. Sure. But that said, there was always feedback and the feedback was sometimes a little hard to take. Just sometimes I could be hard headed or think he was wrong. In reality, he's a college basketball coach and more he often than not was probably right. <laughs> right. So we we had I mean we have great conversations and had great conversations when I was in high school and I was on such a great high school team in Alabama and California. Uh, my j- sophomore year in Alabama, we won the state championship. Oh wow! I wasn't really on the team. They had me playing JV. There was they told me there was no point to sit varsity bench all year and not play sure. much. I played JV in the end of the season. I got called up on the state championship run. Wow. Um, that made it hard to leave Alabama because I didn't yeah, want to leave. Right. We had um, a six foot ten kid, Trey Jemison, who went to Clemson, is now back at UAB, and we were good friends. So that that hurt to leave. Yeah. And then I went to uh, Palo Alto, and we went to back to back state final fours. So wow. I was blessed with two great high school programs, great kids, great coaches. Uh, I mean, coaches that still have a major influence on me, and I stay in contact with and. I mean, my dad was right there behind me, supporting me all the way through all of that. So, very appreciative of how he handled all of that that situation. Do you remember when you knew you wanted to keep playing past high school? I think I knew I wanted to keep playing from a very young age. Okay. I, yeah, yeah. I wanted to keep. I want. I've wanted to play basketball. I mean, at this level for so long, and to find to get here, and I mean that I. Couldn't be more thankful to Coach Painter for that opportunity he's given me to be a part of this program for the last three years. And I went and played at a Division three school and transferred. And I'm appreciative of that experience because I, I knew I could play at that level and I wanted to prove it to myself. And I, I just wanted to play. I put in all this work in high school and I wanted to see it come to fruition. I had a bad experience just school, coaches-wise. I knew it wasn't a good fit. I kind of knew that before I went there. I was just so dead set on playing. Mm. And then halfway through, I told my dad, I think around Christmas break, and with him being a coach, he knew some people just around college basketball. And I think he ended up sitting next to Paint at a at an AAU event. And that was right when uh, you guys had a walk-on who was thinking about leaving. 
and it opened up a door late, which was perfect for me. And I got the call from Coach Paint, and that was that was that. That was all I needed to hear. So I remember that he uh, he had called or texted me shortly after that conversation with your dad and said, "I think I got somebody for us." And um, that's a uh, th- tell me t- about that role. So you you know you go to play, which is I always tell walk-ons at Purdue we so our listeners know. I don't know, 100, 150 inquiries a year? Mm. How can I get mm. on the team? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everybody's got a player. Oh, I got this guy, be great for you. I got this guy, be great for you. My nephew, my son, my cousin, my player. <laughs> I mean, we have heard it all. He's great. He's phenomenal. Yeah, right. So there's, a you know, a thousand great players that want to be. And there is. There's there's a lot of good players everywhere. Let me stop you. So no one's ever called you and said, hey, I got a player for you, but he's terrible. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, imagine that. Uh, so... So we get these, you know, we get we get feedback a lot. And when you've been somewhere as long as Coach Painter has, and you've, you know, been doing this for a while, you you, you know a lot of people, and you get a lot of calls. And so, the I always, without fail, the first thing I will tell anyone who is inquiring about walking on is, do you want to play? If so, like first, I do everything I can to talk them out of being a walk on. <laughs> and I'm going to get your take on all this yeah. here in a second. So I'm building this up for our listeners here because. It is not glamorous, and there's an overwhelming chance that you're never going to play. Um, but yet, you're a super, super valuable part of what we do. You know, it's it's, and it shows up every day in practice. Shows up every day in the locker room, in the film room, when we travel. You know, there's a vibe to a team, and there's an attitude to a team, and a, and a kind of an energy that a team carries with them on the road. And to be honest, if you're if you're a walk-on that doesn't bring anything to the table there. Then how are you helping us? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we, we're lucky. We've had really good walk-ons over the years, and and uh, our current crew, which you're a member of, is great. Um, and I guess that's a way of saying for you, you wanted to play, which is what you you know that's that was great. You went and scratched that itch, and then you made the transition over. So as you made that transition, what was the hardest part? Your first year with us, you you come to Purdue, you join us, and then you're here for a few months and. What, did you ever have a night where you laid awake and were like, what did I do? <laughs> it was, I think the biggest adjustment I had was trying to guard everyone. Oh. Mm, and yeah, yeah. it's, I'm sure that seems like something that you should have thought of before you got here. <laughs> and I definitely did think about it. I mean, Division three and Division one are so different. Great. I mean, great basketball can be played at both. But yeah, and there's good players. Like Yeah, like no, not at all. I played against some great guys. Uh, I was in the Skyac Conference in Southern California. I played against some great players that are currently playing overseas and have been. And then you come here and you think, okay, these I know these guys are bigger. I know they're taller. I know they're faster, quicker. You could, The list goes on. But at the same time, I know the game of basketball, right. and I can – they may be faster, but I may know where they're going before they actually go there. Right, yeah. So that that got proven wrong pretty fast because I was getting blown by a few times, a few so, more times than I probably thought I should have been. You knew where they were going, but getting there was <laughs> yeah. the, getting there was yeah. a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, that was definitely an adjustment. I think I finally got uh, acclimated, or just I felt more comfortable. I remember I took a charge on uh, no gel my first year, probably a week or two into practice in a transition drill. He went up to Duncan. I stood in there and took a charge and got the call. And that was my moment where I was like, okay, I can play with these guys. I can make an impact. That was something I loved doing in high school. And 
I, I credit my coaches in Alabama who kind of set that uh, foundation for me. But that made me feel a lot more comfortable. It, it was it was quite the adjustment, but I always knew when I left Cal Lutheran University that being here was what I wanted. And no matter how hard the practices were, how hard the lifts were, how hard adjusting to school and basketball was, that this is where I wanted to be. And I mean, that, that decision has been the, one of the best that I've ever made. So it's been great. Well, and also too, you're a guy that uh, you want to, well, I guess we should ask you, do you, coaching's in your future? That's the plan as of yeah. now. Mm. Uh, the fifth year is interesting with COVID. Mm. Uh, my body's given out a little bit, so we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I think it would have to be a very perfect opportunity for me to continue playing. Uh, but coaching is definitely what I want to do, whether that's a uh, grad assistant or somewhere building my way up. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's definitely what I want to do. Well, and if you're, you know, of that mindset, you know, to have the different stops you've made, um, you know, your dad and now Coach Painter is kind of two really good reference points, um, guys to learn under. Uh, you know, your your resume is probably far ahead of a lot of guys in your p- same position. So, um, you know, you'll be a very marketable uh, young coach. Would you consider playing for your dad as a fifth-year guy? I get asked that question a lot. <laughs> um, I love my dad to death. <laughs> and we've had these this conversation a few times. I went back and forth when he got the job at Denver for the initially. I was like, this is great. I got the extra COVID year. I'm going to play my senior year at Purdue. I'm going to go get a year play for my dad. It'll be awesome. Be a great experience. The more I think we've both thought about it, I think we keeping our relationship instead of player coach <laughs> as the mm-hmm. coach son and soon to be coach and coach, hopefully. I, I don't think it's it's the right decision. I'm going to be there supporting him every step of the way. Uh, I, I don't think doing that as a player is something that I'll do. Okay. Uh, definitely something I've thought of and lost a little bit of sleep over, just debating. Uh, but I, I think I think our relationship is great where it stands, and not we're not going to dabble into that area. Sure. <laughs> what, about, what about working for him? think the same goes for working for really? him. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I've always been like this, and he knows it. I, like, I want to earn it. I yeah. don't want to go. That was another part of playing for him. I didn't want to go play for him and be like, oh, you're just on that team because your dad coaches it. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to blaze my own trail. I want to do it on my own. Yes, I'm going to use him and his resources to get me in the, get me in the, in the first door. But at that point, it's up to me. It's up to how hard I work. It's, how, it's up to how much film I watch, up to how much research I do to figure out the best way to work out some of the guys. Like That's going to be on me. Getting in will be – I'll use him and use the other coaches that I've had the pleasure of playing for and being around. But we're, we're going to keep it as a father-son relationship, and I've, I'm, I've, I love it. I've wondered that. I've, I've always kind of – I've wondered about the playing part, but I've wondered – I probably thought more about you know the coaching piece and if you would ever – entertain those thoughts if the opportunity ever presented itself um we talked a little bit about the importance of you guys as walk-ons tell us in your in your thought like in your thoughts would be of how like what would be the most important aspect of your job or what is the most important aspect of your role as a walk-on you have to be a 100 percent unselfish team player you can't have any type of thoughts about Oh, I'm going to I'm going to do this and then I'm going to get to play. I'm going to I don't want to do this cuz it doesn't involve me getting the ball or shooting. 
Like you have to just give yourself to the team and everyone else. And if you like being any type of selfish will prove like you've had walk-ons leave here that started and it just didn't work out. Chances are those had to do with a little bit of selfishness and not being fully bought in. I think investment would be the best word to to put to put all that in a one one jar. Because yeah. if you're not invested in everyone else around you more than yourself, it's, it's not going to work out. And I would hope that you, I would hope that um, you guys feel as good about wins as a, the guy who had 40 or the guy who hit the game winner. You know, I would hope that you guys take as much pride in the success that we're having as as the guys who maybe appear a little bit more in the box score. Yeah, I I don't need the recognition of someone telling me I played a good game if if Purdue wins I am I'm on cloud nine it's great it's exactly what we want everyone in our circle of this team knows what we do to help and we don't we don't need the media talking about us we don't we don't need fans coming up and asking us for autographs like the, we we have other guys who play really well and they deserve that attention I, I want to win yeah, I don't yeah. I don't care about anything else I want to win I want to win at a high level, and that's exactly what we've done here. I, uh, I a few years ago, we after we usually after we win, we'll go around the locker room and you know just you know pat each guy on the back. Hey, good game, good game, good game. And a few years ago, and I can't remember which walk on it was, but I went by. I was like, hey, good game, and he looked at me because he didn't get in that game. And I said, hey, look, let me clarify what I'm saying. I said, every game is not one on game day obviously and and you guys all know this i'm not saying that you guys aren't aware of but you know it's the four or five days leading into that game that get that win you know it's the practice the day before it's the shoot around the day of it's the practice before that practice all that kind of culminates in the game and so when you guys have a great practice and maybe you're on the scout team running a certain team's offense and you give us a great look and you force our guys to have to learn how to guard better like that's a that contributes to that win. So I, I specified and said, hey, look, I'm telling you that because you did stuff two days ago that got us this win. So you need to take as much – you need to feel just as good about getting this win today as the guys who played, you know, 30 minutes. And he kind of looked at me, okay, yeah, now I got it. And so, like, now, you know, it's kind of understood that, like, we all contribute in every way possible to kind of get these wins collectively. And therefore, we need to enjoy all those wins collectively because you guys work too hard not to be able exactly. to sit back in the locker room and yeah. enjoy them. So no, that's I've been, been I've been exactly what you've talked about. I've been the now as a senior and the oldest walk on we have. I've been the Boo Booies this year. I've been the Jordan Bohannons. And when yeah, you talk, get it, talk through that, like that yeah, game prep, like, like talk that. about that, yeah. um, you know, that aspect of it because that's like that's got to be probably the most fun in practice for you guys yeah it is we, we have we have free reign almost um i know coach lusk runs our scout team when we when we get a run the other team sets against our defense and he he's really kind of keyed in on me and i've appreciated his the interest he's taken into me as a, a player and as a person uh, but he's kind of trusted me to i guess run everything we're doing obviously I'm the shortest one we have, so I play. I play the point in most situations, but for, with a lot of teams, that's the head of the snake, like Coach right. B always says. Yeah, yeah. So he's he'll kind of prepare me for what's what's coming, and obviously we watch film on the other teams. So you, I pay attention more to what they're running than what we're doing because I, chances are I'm not running what we're doing. Yeah, we've yeah. got our few set of plays that we do. 
So it, it's I've really taken taken that seriously, and this year more so, just having more control over it. But I know if I the harder I cut, the the tighter I cut off screens, the more separation I get. It's only going to help our players when the game comes. So yeah, I may be tired from running around like a chicken with my head cut off in circles, but this is going to help our team so much for preparation, and then when the game comes, they're ready for what's happening. Now, when you look at the upcoming opponents, and if there's a point guard that gets a lot of shots up, are you like, oh, that's going to be a fun prep there because I'm going to get the shoot on it? <laughs> I was excited for Iowa because uh, the first time around I was Jordan Bohannon, and mm-hmm. he had me running in circles for about 30 minutes straight, and I loved it. And you get to let it fly. And I got, I got changed to Joe Toussaint this time. So I, <laughs> I had a word with Lusk about it. Um, <laughs> Other than that, I'm trying to think. Um, well, Boo Boo, he lets him yeah. go. Yeah, he gets to shoot a lot. I was Boo when we, we played them the first time around, so unless Lust changes it up, I'll be him again. Um, so, you know, my uh, my broadcast partner, Bobby Riddell, he loves to tell a story because he too is a walk-on, mm-hmm. that he got to be Steph Curry in practice when Purdue was getting ready to play Davidson. Oh. He still says that was his funnest practice of his entire life. You yeah. just get to shoot every yeah. time from half court. Who cares? We had My first year we played Marquette early in the season and Tommy being the senior was Marcus Howard mm, yes. and I remember watching him do stuff and scout and thinking to myself man that just he's having so much fun he gets to do whatever he wants he can shoot from wherever he wants <laughs> right so I've I've had one or two games the first time we played Jordan Bohan and I, I got to do that and it's <laughs> it's awesome for us you hit you may only hit one or two shots in the course of all of it but those two shots you're thinking to yourself man like this is this is awesome. This is this is what these guys get to do in the game. And I get to do it for a thirty second segment with no one watching, or thirty minute segment with no one watching. Excuse me. But it's funny when you guys do like when you do run their stuff well in our practice, and you hit a shot like the reaction from our staff. Then it's like, mm. you know, then it's like, come on, that's what we got to stop. What are we doing? You we know? we feed off that. We love it. because when we score, and when we were in Northwestern, we I think we got a few buckets back to back and. We all came back to the huddle clapping and high-fiving yeah, each other. Yeah. Like, we know this is kind of helping us in the long run, but right now this feels pretty damn good. <laughs> well, it's good to stick it to the starters, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sometimes they'll they'll take advantage of our size and speed. And yes. Me more so than some of the other guys. But <laughs> it's it's nice to hit a shot on some of those guys when they talk to you every once in a while about not being able to guard them. And it's like, Works both ways, doesn't yeah, it? Now? Yeah. Well, and, and at the end of the day, you know, you guys are competitive guys. You were all successful at your previous stops. Um, you know, I think there's a um, there's a misnomer that you know you guys are talented. First and foremost, you have to be talented to have a walk on role. You know, we're not just going down the mall and handing out right. a couple slips and saying, "Hey, right. we'll on. see you. We'll see you in August. Come on, walk, join the team. Uh, you know, quit working at the watch stand here and come on down." Uh, so you guys obviously have talent, and uh, and that's got to be uh, that's got to be fun. But also then talk about okay, we go through that. We prep two days. Like let's just take our our recent home game against Northwestern. You're boo booey. We go through practice now. When you guys are watching and we get a good stop, you know maybe two or three stops in a row, and we've guarded against maybe a, the same set that you guys ran in practice. There's got to be some pretty cool satisfaction in that. I like being able to watch the game, and like you said, we get a big stop in something that we ran on scout team in practice. 
it's cool to be able to call it out before it happens. Yeah. So yeah, if yeah. we see they're running, let's just say they're running a stagger action, and while they're getting set up, I see it and I yell it out. Granted, Mackie is in crazy, <laughs> and no one may may be able to actually hear what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But to be able to call it out and then say our defender gets on top or gets right behind the guy and they get knocked out of their action, that to me is the satisfaction of knowing what I did in practice helped in the games because it it did. Yeah. You literally see it for your own, for yourself that what you called out or what you did in practice prepared them to stop what actually happened. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so I have to know this, Jared. I'm sorry. I have to ask this. You're on the bench late in the game. It's getting late in the game. Let's say 10 minutes to go I was the just game. getting ready to bring that up. <laughs> we're playing, I would say, an inferior opponent, but not always. Maybe even it's a good opponent, but we're just having our way We've with We've played well. Yes. We have played have well. a big yeah. lead. At what point in your mind does it start triggering, hey, I'm going to get in this game here in just a couple of minutes? So when you think – when that thought comes up of, oh, I think I'm going to get in here, it's it's not as good of a feeling as some people may think. <laughs> really? <laughs> so Interesting. You're, so say there's eight minutes left or something, and mm-hmm. it's it's a 24-point lead. Okay, yeah. And you see the momentum building for us, and you know it's going to get bigger and bigger. You're thinking, man, i got to get myself ready, but I can't go warm up. I don't get to go yeah, take a few sitting. shots. <laughs> I've been more, – more often than not, I'm sitting for an uh, over two-hour period. Yeah, <laughs> right. And at my point, my body is, is giving out on me from time to time. So I'm, I'm as stiff as can be. I'm over there trying to pull my legs up behind me, do some hamstring stretches. And then once you actually get into the game, you just – you kind of go numb and <laughs> – you don't necessarily feel you feel it right after, right? Uh, but it's yeah, you right around like twenty five, and it's earlier in the game. You're thinking to yourself, "I'm going to play tonight." So twenty five is the magic number. If the lead balloons to twenty five, <laughs> you feel like you're getting in. You you feel safe at twenty five yeah, gotcha. that you're going to play. Okay. Sometimes it can go back down. Sure, sure. sure. Um, but that yeah, I think twenty five the good amount of time to play. You're like okay. It's gonna it's gonna happen tonight. Let me get myself mentally prepared to go out there and guard their starting lineup for two minutes. Right. Do you remember the first time, the first game you got in in Mackey? Because Mackey, like, let's face it, you know that place cooks. I mean, it's uh, it's a little bit different, and they appreciate when you guys come in. That energy goes up a notch. So like, they are they are pulling for you guys to score one. So do you remember the first time that you guys check in? I want to say it was Chicago State. I could be wrong because there were a few jumbled up right okay. at the beginning of that season. I know I played in that one. I didn't. I don't think I had any stats or did much in that one. But I'm pretty sure it was the next one we played Jacksonville State, and I hit. That was when I hit my first three. Isaiah gave me a nice little kick ahead. Defender got lost, and <laughs> I pulled up and shot a three. And that the the feeling kind of didn't really set in when it happened because I hit it and I was like, okay, I got to get back on defense now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, re- I remember after the game, my fl- my phone was blowing up from friends and family that <laughs> yeah. had been watching, and that to me was like, okay, the not the not playing in practice, the the sitting around, the not being the guy anymore, having anything ran for you, like this is this is why I came here. This not only just being a part of this team, but that one little moment of success that you have. And granted, we're not put in to have success. You're put in a tough position. <laughs> yeah, right. Where you, like we said, you've been sitting for so long yeah, that yeah. it's hard to get adjusted, and by the time you get adjusted, the game ends. Right, right. So to be able to have that little bit of success and then 
have it be noticed that feeling is is so incredible and it really can't I can't even describe it it was it was like okay I've I've this is this is what I've always wanted and it's it's so I mean yeah it's like I said I can't even describe how it really feels so I got to ask you a last question here before we get to the final four Um, coach painter always talks about when he was a player he knew he wanted to coach and he would maybe not always verbalize it but sometimes when he was a player here at Purdue he would question stuff the coaching staff would do or maybe you know a drill or maybe a strategy or whatever it might be do you find yourself taking mental notes as this year goes on of like boy I this is really good stuff like maybe it's a drill maybe it's a strategy a way of doing things and then on the flip side other things like man what if I'm ever lucky enough to get my team I'm going to do this part different do you ever find yourself doing that I probably take it in more than, like, not necessarily complain about it, but think this isn't right. Cause Coach Painter is one of the best coaches in the country. What he's doing works, and it yeah. has worked. Uh, so that I, mental notes are definitely being taken by me at every practice now yeah. as I'm getting closer and closer to a coaching career. I, the, the breakdowns that we do where we split up on two ends with our white and black teams and we go through either a defensive action that we're guarding their offense or the flip side of that. He, he's told me before, though, those really help the players understand it because you're not running it in a game situation. You're breaking it down to, okay, they're going to do this, and then they're going to go do that. Yeah. And as a player, being able to comprehend that and doing it in, say you're doing it 10 minutes, but you do it 10 minutes two days in a row, you've gotten 20 minutes of prep on one or two small little actions but they're so important. You wouldn't be going over them if the team didn't do it quite often. Right. So right. those being able to break it down and just go over it over and over and over again, that I think that's one of the things I've taken away from him this year that, that I've kind of thought to myself, this is, I'm going to do this if I ever have the chance to coach my own team or put in input as an assistant or something along the lines. Have you ever gone? Have you ever had a conversation with your dad where you were like, I'm not real sure why we're doing it this way? But this is what we're doing. No, it. I think I haven't because we. What we do is is always what we do. Yeah. Like Payne said before, all these teams that switch up their defenses, it's because what they do isn't good enough. What mm, we yeah. do is good enough. Yeah. And so we don't stray away from what we do. So it, I've never really had a call with him. I've talked to him about what they're doing <laughs> at, <laughs> at Denver or wherever he was before, and thought. I don't. I don't really know if this is the best thing for you and your team. And then I'm told I'm wrong, and <laughs> we we move on. Well, coach is all. I mean, Payne's all. He said a lot. Like I would question things I didn't get as a 19 year old, 20 year old. And then when I'm now, you know, they said when I get to be 30 and I'm in the coaching world, I look back and go, oh, okay, they knew what they were doing. Like Coach Katie, there was a reason he did this or that. And yeah, it's sometimes it's hard when for you guys it's hard you know to understand maybe the why of why things happen a certain way but uh, but yeah like you like you said you can't argue with the results so. yeah, I think I haven't questioned some of what he's done and what he's had our guys do because I'm not always in it and a part of it so from the side I'm thinking okay this makes sense yeah I'm sure the guys who are actually oh, yeah. going through yeah, some of the stuff day. we do yeah. are thinking why are we going through this again like no doubt how is this gonna how is this gonna help us in the games but from a perspective on the side you get it and yeah. you talk while we're watching I talk with PJ or I'll talk with Terry or 
Coach Lusk, and you, you get an understanding of what actually is going on and how it's going to benefit us down yeah. the line. No, that's really cool. Well, Jerry, we end every one of these podcasts with a final four questions, and these are four kind of off-the-beaten-path questions that we ask every guest. So we want to start the final four with you. And uh, first question is, what is your go-to music of choice? I love Drake, uh, always have. Um, I've also, guilty pleasure would probably be John Mayer. Really? Gr- grew okay. up listening to John Mayer and uh, Nora Jones. Okay. Uh, we joke our house in Illinois, we had surround sound, and it was Nora Jones or John Mayer, the paper shredder in my dad's office, and the smell of coffee in the house on Sundays. <laughs> so grew up on that type of music. Um, so do you f- are you a big enough John Mayer fan? What were your thoughts when he went with the Dead & Company? I actually haven't listened to a whole lot of John with the Den Company. Okay. I go with the classics, his yeah. album Continuum. Yeah, one of the best albums of all time, in my opinion. Okay, so I'm an older John Mayer fan. I would so say. I, yeah, so I got in. I, I guess became more. I knew his old stuff, but I was more of a fan of his work with the Dead with Dead and Company when I saw him this last summer. So, um, yeah, and he and he's one of the most talented musicians and oh, guitar players on all. the planet. Yeah, really cool guy. All right, question uh, two here on the final four. Uh, what is your favorite book or maybe a good book you've read recently? I'm currently reading the, uh, the John Thompson autobiography that we got as part of the final, f- or the March Madness in the Bubble. Yeah. And that, I, I was telling, I started it when I went home over Christmas break. And I remember reading it on the plane and getting off the plane and reading it when I got home. And then the next day I read it at home again and like I couldn't put it down and it's it's awesome for me to read now because I see all the similarities between him and coach Payne really and a lot of the just the styles of how they run a program not necessarily on the court Uh, just he he was such a great man more than a great coach and how he he used racism to kind of drive his success in basketball and it is, I mean, with the times that we've been in, it's it's really a great read, and I've I've taken a lot from it that I've really never taken from bo- a book before. Yeah, I I read it. Uh, I guess it would have been over the summer, and it was awesome. I mean, just a, it was a really really cool book, and I think your point is well taken about the similarities with him and Paint. And I think one of the reasons is his he demands accountability from his players, mm-hmm. you know, and and teaches that. Uh, to be responsible and you know not to cut any corners and and that kind of thing. I think you're right. There's a lot of similarities there, and I I don't know if I would have observed that or thought of that while I was reading it. But you make a really good point with that. Are you are you an avid reader? Do you if you read, do you have a specific kind of genre that you stick to? I don't read a whole lot. I've now reading the Thompson autobiography. I want to get into more uh, coaches' autobiographies as I'm getting into coaching yeah, yeah. as well. I, I think just that style really gets my interest and yeah you you learn about these guys from when they were born till through throughout their coaching careers and beyond and as someone who wants to coach like that I, f- I think I finally found like what genre of book I'm into yeah and that I, I actually have a real interest in and want to keep reading we said we had that conversation with Etwan when he was on and he was he said hey just find what you love That's like right. and then reading's yeah. not a big deal like right. we, we were talking about yeah. fighting our kids to read like you know we gotta read gotta read well you they the first you need to find what they want to read about right then they'll start reading oh, yes. and that's that'll a great answer. point because I think I try to switch up the different genres that I read but 
there will be times when I dive into a sports book or about a coach especially. It's like I can just fly through it because yeah. it is. It's really fascinating stuff, especially when you want to get into that world. And you have such a, a history in that world too. So do you ever – it will be interesting as you read those if you start seeing similarities between – your dad and like just being in a coaching you know family so he saw me reading it at home <laughs> and he said you know i got a lot more books just like that if you want yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I told him let me let me finish this one and then the next trip home i'll get one or two of them from you yeah that's awesome well coach painter reads a bunch and he's like he'll read a, a, a book on a coach and then he'll come in and, he, and a coach is pretty old school despite his age he'll come in and have uh deb in our office um make photocopies of some of the pertinent pages that he like would like the staff to look at and then kind of distribute so okay question three here on the final four if you could wave a wand and do any profession in the world starting tomorrow what would it be other than coaching yes i would probably say uh maybe being a sports agent i think being around that world and trying to negotiate deals with different athletes of different sports. I think that would be of interest to me. I've thought about it. That and um, being a commentator. I, I've loved something I've always known, or not known, but I was all, I always knew like the back of a baseball card. Yeah. Collected them as a kid. Yeah. And my dad did the same. And I'm that way with basketball, too, where I know all these stats. I look at a box score once from three months ago, and I'll remember what a guy had. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. so that's that's something, too, that th- those two professions really interest me. If you, gotta, you don't mind living in poverty, I was gonna say, you get gotta into watch broadcasting. It. Those broadcasters, that's a seedy lot right there. you got to watch it now. <laughs> Do it for the love of it, love exactly. of it not the money. Not up. for the paycheck. <laughs> You're going down a dark road. <laughs> you do a great job, Rob. <laughs> great Thank job. you. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite broadcaster? Other than Rob Blackman. Yeah, Rob Blackman Present and Bobby Riddell are fantastic. <laughs> they, they, they should be paid more than they're paid Thank you. for what they Thank do. Robbie's been great um, as mm-hmm. he's, he's yeah. come onto the scene. Uh, I love Fran Fraschilla, too. Hmm. He's more so just a great person. Uh, I was able to actually meet him for the first time at the t- uh, tournament in uh, Connecticut. Yeah. And just he knew my dad a little bit, and that sparked yeah. the conversation. Cool. And him and uh, Joe Davis. Joe, so I met Joe yeah. on our road trip to Illinois. Yeah. And I was telling my dad about it after the game growing up, Dodgers fans. I was going to say, now give us the background here. So here. grandpa being from Brooklyn, when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn, Dodgers moved to L.A. My grandpa's job took him to L.A. less than a year later. My dad grew up in Orange County, about 40 minutes from Dodger Stadium, grew up going to games. I grew up in Illinois, but grew up listening to Vince Scully and watching all the Dodgers games. So now, in the summers, I watch them every single night, and Joe Davis and Oral Hershiser do the games now. Mm, the and Bulldog. I, Joe Davis has recently come on the scene. He does, he does everything, college football, NFL, MLB, yeah. bat, college basketball. And Foreman introduced me to him because I told him I missed him my first year at Michigan. And I, I haven't been starstruck in a really long time. <laughs> and to be, he, he, just because of how good of a job I think he does, yeah. I, like, I fumbled my words and I remember thinking after the conversation, like, what, what were you doing? Like, he's not, he's not a professional baseball player, basketball player. He, he just calls the games. But that's your guy. I mean, yeah, you no, know, he, yeah. he does such a great job. So we, we were able to connect a little bit, and 
gave me his number, so I'll be using that for some Dodger tickets <laughs> oh, here cool. soon. So how many Dodger cool. games have you been to? Oh, I don't know the total. I've been seeing him at Wrigley. Seen, I've seen him at both the old Cardinals Stadium and the new Cardinals. I think I saw them play the White Sox at one point. Giants Stadium, Dodgers, of course, Chavez Ravine, best stadium in baseball. <laughs> That that might be it. I've been I've been to Chavez Ravine once. I saw a uh, a Dodger game. We uh, was at a conference in San Diego and ditched the conference for a night and drew, drove up to uh, see a game up nice. there. It was well worth. Nice. it. Got a Dodger dog. Got oh, the whole experience. Dodger dogs. Just regular hot dog. But they <laughs> call it a Dodger dog. <laughs> Makes it exponentially better. Hey, when you slap a you know a. a when you slap the right verbiage on something, it makes all the difference. The oh, old Dodger dog. We used to have the. Uh, in the press box at Ross Aid used to be the boiler dogs. Mm-hmm, that's right. And everybody yep. raved to him. I'm like, it's a hot it's dog. It's just a hot dog, yep. <laughs> but it was, in the, it was the yep. media food in the old press box in Ross Aid Stadium. It was the old boiler dogs. Boiler dog, yep. Something about a Dodger dog, though. <laughs> oh, it's best there is. That's awesome. Best there is. Okay, last question here on the Final Four is what is a little-known fact or something that no one knows about you? Hmm. It's tough. I'm going to have to think on it for a second. I use, normally when this is asked in class or something, I use the I lived in four states by 16, but I already covered that. <laughs> um, is that I, a big question in classes that professors it ask? It tends to be the yeah. icebreaker. Yeah. You get it every time. Yeah, I, I had a, a professor in a communications class at Purdue ask what, who the most famous person was that everybody had met, mm. and we went around the room, which was, I thought was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool, yeah. Um, if I think of one off the top of my head right now I would just say that I've had four different sports surgeries in the last eight or so years just as much as I've played basketball and baseball it it wears on you and I unfortunately did not last too long without a couple of them so probably not a great fact but only one I could think of right now well, that's uh, I know I remember the last one you went with through with us, but I didn't realize you had that many before that. So, what was your position in baseball, by the way? So I played first, even though I'm only five ten. Really? Because oh, I because guessed. I had shoulder surgery. Oh, and it never. Throw. I heard it when I was really young, and I was too young for them to find that there was something wrong. So it always gave me problems. So I played first, so I didn't have to throw sure, it as much. Sure. And then as time went on, I just. I kept playing it because that was what I grew up playing. Yeah, was that was that uh, how close to baseball was your love of baseball to your love of basketball? It at a time it was more uh, going into high school. It was like mi- end of middle school, beginning of high school. Baseball was what I wanted to do. I remember not even going to a UAB basketball camp because I wanted to play baseball instead. Huh. And <laughs> that raised an issue sit? in our household. Say, that's <laughs> not necessarily them being mad, but they were like, you're not doing anything else right now. Why don't, wouldn't you just go play basketball? I, I've loved baseball. Like I said, I watch Dodger games every night when they're in season. And I, I think if my shoulder wasn't a problem, I, I, chances are I would have played baseball instead. Hmm. I, baseball came a lot more naturally to me than basketball did, where – I was I was five ten, but I was a power hitter, so I sh- short arms. I got through the zone pretty quick, and I just I understood the game. Like catchers would throw the ball back to the pitcher, I'd go from second to third and steal a base because no one was paying attention. Yeah, yeah. So my baseball IQ, I think, was a big reason why I loved baseball so much. That's cool. So that was 
Yeah, had that injury not happened, I may have been a Purdue baseball player. So if you do the agent thing, you would probably try to get some, pick up some baseball clients too. Yeah, right? Preferably some Dodger players. Yeah, <laughs> go get, a, get the Dodger ace and you don't have to worry about working for a while. There we go. <laughs> Land one or two of those guys. Well, Jared, thanks uh, for taking time. Uh, appreciate you sacrificing part of your afternoon nap here as we record this podcast. Um, best of luck the rest of the way here to you and, and the rest of the guys, and uh, hopefully we have uh, a lot of success as we wrap up this season. But thanks again for taking time here to join us. Absolutely. It's been great. Boiler up. Episode 83 here on the podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Good night, everyone.